Welcome to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's about the Bills and the beer. Now, here's your host, John Murphy. Well, here we go again, Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. My name is John Murphy, the play-by-play voice of the Buffalo Bills. We have a good show for you today and this week as we get set for the Bills' big matchup with the New England Patriots Monday night at Highmark Stadium, Monday night, 8.15 p.m., nationally televised, the Bills once again on national TV. We're going to talk about that game. We're going to talk about the Bills-Patriots history and the Patriots history in particular. We're going to talk with Seth Wickersham. He is a senior writer for ESPN.com. He is an author, and he's written a really good book, came out a couple of months ago, about the Patriots and the Patriots' Super Bowl run. It's about Tom Brady. It's about Bill Belichick, to a lesser extent about Bob Kraft. The book, It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots and the Pursuit of Greatness. Hard to admit, they were great in their Super Bowl run. I mean, they they owned the Buffalo Bills. It's hard to admit that now, I know. But they did. And Seth Wickersham, in this book, which I've read most of at this point, uh, details how they got together, how they kept it together, how they kept winning Super Bowls. Seth Wickersham going to join us in a moment to talk about the Patriots, not so much about uh, Monday night's game, but just about the Patriots' legacy, their history, and uh, where they're coming from. It's Better to Be Feared is the book, The New England Patriots and the Pursuit of Greatness. Of course, the Bills pursue greatness. They kind of put something together in their last game, their win at New Orleans on Thanksgiving night. They played well. They played really well and came up with a victory, a much-needed victory. They need to stack them together now. They've been up and down the last month or so. They need to stack victories together. They get New England Monday night. Then they play New England uh, in three weeks. Uh, so two times against the right now the number one team in the AFC East over the next month or so. That's a pretty good setup for the Buffalo Bills. And they took a big blow in the Thursday night loss to the New Orleans Saints when they lost all-pro cornerback Tredavious White. I would argue, I think you could argue, and I would argue that White is the top in the top two players on the Buffalo Bills. I think indispensable, nearly. Tredavious White and Josh Allen on offense. Those are the two guys who are indispensable, irreplaceable. And the Bills have lost uh, Tredavious White for the rest of the season with that knee injury and ACL tear in the second quarter of the win at New Orleans. They're going to miss him. They're going to miss him. What Tredavious White did was give the Bills' defense the – flexibility to say, look, they got a good receiver. We're going to put uh, Tredavious White on him, and we'll handle the rest of the team. I mean, it's just a great weapon to have on defense, to have a guy who can lock down another team's receiver, and Tredavious could do that. I would argue that Tredavious is one of the top two or maybe three corners in the National Football League. He will be missed. He is lost now for the rest of the year. So what do the Bills have to replace him? Nowhere near his caliber of player. Dane Jackson, the second-year player from Pittsburgh, likely to get the start at cornerback. He's a good player, still learning, still developing. And I think because of his uh, his limited playing time so far, the Bills are likely to play more zone defense than they did when they had Tredavious, right? No longer can they tell Dane Jackson or Levi Wallace on the other side, we're playing man, stay with your guy. They got to give Dane Jackson help. Now, they have good people to give him help, Two of the best safeties in the game, Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer. But I still think uh, they'll play more zone and play more conservatively defensively now without Tredavious White. They remain the number one defense in the National Football League. They really are. And uh, well, that'll be tough to keep up 
now that Tredavious White is a lot is out of the lineup. But we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Bills um, with several standout players in the win at New Orleans, including Ed Oliver, who played again one of his best games since he's been with the Buffalo Bills. He's had a couple of those in the last month or so. He was a dominant force on the defensive line. Ed Oliver, I think, is emerging as a very serious player on this number one defense. On offense, Dawson Knox has emerged as a bona fide threat a weapon in the passing game. He's got seven touchdowns. He had two against the Saints. Um, He's really good, and he's become uh, less of a liability, maybe even an asset in the run game. He's become a decent blocker, but he is a weapon the teams have to account for on an offense that is full of weapons, really. They are. Wide receiver, they have great weapons. Now Dawson Knox joins that group. The running back, still a work in progress. They got good work out of Matt Breida. They got good work out of Devin Singletary. They sat down Zach Moss. They, those three may share time moving down the stretch, maybe even as soon as this Monday night. A good one against the uh, Saints, but again, the Bills just feeding on bottom feeders in the NFL. Uh, Monday night was the fifth quarterback they faced this year and beaten this year, who was his team's number two quarterback. They've done a good job against the uh, lesser lights in the NFL. Nothing they can do about it. That's who they're assigned to play. But it will be tough now. New England has had a good run. New England with a great defense, a rookie quarterback who provides some opportunities for the Bills to do their own defensive uh, schemes and try to uh, foul up Mac Jones. We'll see if they can do it. But it should be a great game. The Bills and New England coming up Monday night, 8-15 at Highmark Stadium. We'll have the call of the game as usual on the Bills Radio Network. Looking forward to it as well. I think it's going to be a white-knuckle ride right down to the end of the regular season for the Bills with two against the Patriots, one against Tampa Bay, and a couple of winnable games, Carolina, Atlanta, and the Jets. But I think the Bills will come out on top. I think they're going to sweep the Patriots, by the way. I think they are loaded with talent. They have much more talent than the Patriots, who are good defensively. But the Bills have weapons New England just dreams about. And I look for the Bills to win this game Monday and win again on December 26th. At issue this game, of course, Bill Belichick, who uh, is a mastermind defensively. I'm sure he's got big plans for Josh Allen. The Bills have to match him. Uh, coaching-wise, and that is a challenge, a direct challenge to Sean McDermott and his staff, Brian Dable and Leslie Frazier. They have to be ready to coach as well as they can because even though they have good talent, better talent than New England, the Bills will be challenged by a Patriots team that has won six in a row and sits on top of the AFC East right now. Should be a great game. All right, speaking of the Patriots, we're going to talk with our guest in a moment, Seth Wickersham. He is a reporter, senior reporter, senior writer for ESPN.com. He wrote a book about the Patriots' Super Bowl run. The book is called It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots and the Pursuit of Greatness. And we'll talk with Seth Wickersham up next right here on Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with John Murphy. It's Better to Be Feared. That's the name of the book. It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots and the Pursuit of Greatness. The author is on with us right now, Seth Wickersham. He is a senior writer at ESPN.com. Seth, thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Hey, good to see you again. You know, the book is about the Patriots' incredible Super Bowl run. And uh, as a show based in Buffalo, we cover the Bills a lot. We have to say right at the outset, the Bills were really not much more than a, a blot on the pavement for the, the Patriots' Super Bowl run, right? I mean, they just owned Buffalo through that entire uh, tenure. Man, they really did. And, you know, there was a couple times where it looked like Buffalo, you know, had them. I mean, I think what comes to mind is that I think it was the season opener in 2009, you know, Brady coming back from the knee surgery and the Bills are up late in the game. The Patriots score. I think they threw a, a post route to, to Benjamin Watson and then the Bills fumbled a kickoff 
<laughs> of course, it's just like, you know, it's just like once those snowball effects happen, you just you kind of know what's happening next. But yeah, but, you know, I will say that, you know, obviously things have changed a little bit in Buffalo. And even if like the Bills aren't dominating the Patriots the way that they used to, they have had some success and there's a lot of reason for hope that things will change. But we'll see. They have yeah. to they have to keep winning. That 09 game broke my I was doing play by play in that game. Leotis McKelvin, my man, Leotis dropped that kickoff, just broke my heart. That was a terrible yeah. loss. Hey, Seth. Um, the book really focuses on, on the three main characters, Brady, Belichick, and Bob Kraft. Could their Super Bowl run have occurred without all three of those guys? Do you think they were all indispensable? You know, that's a really good question. I think that I would say yes, but I think that it's a little qualified. Obviously, number one, Tom Brady, it just doesn't happen without him. Right. I mean, they won the lottery with him. And, you know, Belichick, to his credit, you know, developed him well. I mean, the Tom Brady that we see now was not always the Tom Brady that was playing, but clearly he was a special player from the very beginning. And, um, you know, the Patriots coached him um, superbly. Um, obviously, Coach Belichick, you know, he's his, his record in big games and his record as a head coach is speaks for itself. And, you know, he's the greatest head coach in modern times. It'll be interesting to see what success he, he has without Tom, because obviously that's been something that, you know, has obviously been a, a very debatable issue. Um, you know, his record without Brady going back to Cleveland. And then, you know, nobody knows what makes a hall of fame owner. And, and I don't either, but Kraft will probably get in. And it's not just because he, you know, worked on these big broadcasts and labor deals and, you know, he, he pulled off what I think is the greatest trade in NFL history when he traded for Belichick. And I think that he always had the foresight and the patience to keep the big picture in mind. And he was able to balance Brady and Belichick and the egos and the personalities and the entitlement really deftly. And it doesn't mean that it was easy all the time. I have that that anecdote of the book where Kraft is in it's in 2018 and he's leaving one of these kind of business conferences in Colorado. And he goes, you know, I really hate leaving a conference like this, you got to, I leave this and you leave some of the most brilliant minds in the world. And I've got to go to Detroit to be with the biggest effing a-hole in my life, my <laughs> head coach. But generally speaking, he, you know, he helped hold this thing together as long as it could. And so because of that, when you look at the fact that they dom, you know, they, they won Super Bowls over two, you know, a two decade run. I think that all of them were indispensable. Hey, Seth, uh, talking about Belichick and, and since the release of your book a couple of months ago, Belichick, Quoted as saying he never spoke to you. You've detailed conversations with him. I, I'm amazed yeah. that Belichick would would say that and try to pass that off as true. I, you probably were offended that he said that, huh? <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, it's just I was surprised that he said that. But you know, I, I felt like that. You know, with or without in depth cooperation on the book from whoever, I, I felt like there was a great story to tell, and I just felt like that. You know, the window into their greatness that I had kind of going back to Brady covering him in 2001 and kind of getting to know him a bit during his rise and when his life changed so much. And again, you know, some of those in-depth conversations I'd had with coach Belichick and then just covering the league for 20 years, doing investigative work, knowing people inside and outside the building. I just, I felt like that I could put together a book that hopefully fans would enjoy reading. You know, you detail a conversation you had with Belichick, uh, whether or not he remembers it, but you, you asked him questions. Uh, he was sort of doing his mumbling, looking at the pavement. And then you said yeah. he, 
he gave details about what you were asking about. And, and I want to read it, the part of the book. You said he was eager to give a glimpse of his staggering knowledge and willpower that had propelled him and, and uh, sustained his career. Um, you know, he wouldn't talk much about a, a tight ends pulled hamstring, you say. But if you want to talk about how he got where he is, uh, how he wanted people to know how he got there. Right. He wanted people to know yeah. his story. And I think that's a fascinating element of him. Um, yeah, that, that anecdote was funny. Um, you, you know, if there's a journalism lesson, it's like never throw away notebooks or recordings because, you know, all of that stuff came in handy. I was doing a story about how teams assemble draft boards and how personalities and politics and all these things might factor into it. So I was meeting with Coach Belichick at the league meetings in a hotel lobby. And I was he had agreed to, to meet with me. And my questions we're just not connecting. And, you know, I, I knew what I was trying to get and it wasn't that he was being unhelpful. It's just that there was like a disconnect there. It just, yeah. it wasn't working. And so after about 15 minutes, I just said, you know, I appreciate it for your time. You know, thank you, Bill, for your time. And he just started talking and it's like, he knew what I was trying to get at, even if my questions weren't quite the right ones. And he just went on talking for another, you know, five, 10 minutes and really giving a, a, a staggering glimpse into some of these things. You know, he's telling kind of funny stories and, and conundrum stories. And it was just one of those really kind of interesting moments where he didn't have to do that, but he did. You know, and not to, to be naive here, I don't think coaches will always tell the truth. Um, I'll tell you a quick story. Marv Levy, who I admire a great deal, um, I asked him once about a, an issue, an offseason issue. They were going to let the defense coordinator, Walt Corey, go, and he denied it. And then three late, three days later, yeah. they let Walt Corey go. And I talked to him about that. I said, Marv, what the hell? And Marv said, you know what, John? I will only lie to you if I have to. I mean, they all, they're, they're all like that, right? They will do that if they have to. They feel they have to. Yeah, and I mean, Coach Belichick, I think, tries to not lie. I think that what he tries to do is just revert to these kind of statements that give him enough cover, right? You know, doing what's yeah. best for the team, not going to discuss injuries. I'm not a doctor, whatever that stuff is. He not going to discuss contracts. He just, he just refuses to, to go there. So I think that he works hard to not get caught lying, but um, <laughs> you know, there's no question though, that like, you know, who he is in front of the podium and who he is behind closed doors are two very different things. Um you know, in front of the podium, obviously he'll he'll shower opponents with praise and talk about all these things these guys do well. And behind closed doors, he can be ruthless in his evaluation of the opponent and how they target him. Um, an example of that is like the 2007 season. Um, there was a Pittsburgh Steelers safety, Anthony Smith, who um, you know had, had not exactly guaranteed a win exactly that wasn't exactly like Joe Namath did but the Patriots were undefeated and he you know he he definitely showed a lot of confidence and essentially said he thought that they were going to win I mean Bill just you know that that just fired up the Patriots you know he he goes into the the squad meetings where he's talking about the team and he's like this a-hole thinks you know you, the Steelers are going to win and I mean they not only targeted him targeted him in that game but they like derailed his career I mean he was never the same after that game your description of Belichick, and this is my final Belichick question in here, um, but I found this fascinating. I, you think of him as uh, we think of him as a tactician, a strategist, and you'd say that uh, uh, he, he doesn't just view his job, and his job is not just that. He he views each game as a as psychological warfare, right? As yeah. a psychological exercise, right? Well, I think that's one of the most fascinating elements of him. For you know, as much 
is this persona of being kind of this emotionless person and introverted and mumbling and a bad communicator gets out there. I think that he understands the psychological element of a game far better than people give him credit for. I mean, talking about, you know, giving when he would play the Colts back in the day when the Colts were really good with Peyton Manning, he would give Peyton Manning certain run plays, knowing that someone as brilliant as Peyton Manning would get bored calling them. And then he'd kind of walk into a trap or even like, um, you know, when, when he had that famous game in 2015, when they played the Ravens um, in the playoffs and, and, you know, they unveiled those funky Baltimore and Raven formations. He not only knew that they would work, but he knew that John Harbaugh, who's like a great coach, but has like an unbelievable temper would lose his cool with the Patriots doing it. And sure enough in the game, Harbaugh got a 15 yard unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. So he does kind of find ways to lay these psychological traps for people that I think is really interesting and almost kind of an underappreciated element of his brilliance as a coach. Seth Workersham's book, It's Better to Be Feared, about the New England Patriots Super Bowl run. And let's talk about Tom Brady for a moment, Seth. Um, uh, you know what stood out to me? You, you detail his competitiveness and his desire to excel, more than excel almost. Uh, it's almost pathological how badly this guy wants to succeed, even now, as he's done it for 25-plus yeah. years. Yeah, I mean, and it, Belichick's the same way. It's like these guys have these – the Super Bowls are almost like this byproduct of this larger obsession. And, you know, you saw that after the Bucks beat the Chiefs in the Super Bowl where, you know, Giselle runs onto the field and she's like, you know, what more do you have to prove? Thinking, you know, hey, can we retire now, you know? And, you know, he figured – Tom Brady figures out a way to, like, avoid answering <laughs> right there because he knew that there is no answer. I mean, he – they need to do it. And I think that, you know – one of the most interesting part of the books that I enjoyed telling was the middle 10 years when they weren't winning Super Bowls because they had plateaued at this incredibly high level, but they were plateauing nonetheless. And they were, they had to dig deep to, you know, reevaluate their own belief systems and to challenge themselves and really condition themselves even more than they were before to like figure out a way when, you know, it's the fourth quarter and Tom Brady misses Wes Welker by two inches in the Super Bowl in a reception that would have iced the game. How do you become two inches more accurate in that exact moment? And I found it really fascinating. I mean, I loved the four falls of Buffalo 30 for 30 yeah. because it showed this resilience that was so rare. And it's just, you know, that stuff is underappreciated. And it reminded me the Patriots were different, but it reminded me of it the same type of way where it's like, again, these two, the bills and the Patriots in different ways had kind of just plateaued at the highest possible level you possibly could, but it had been a plateau nonetheless. And they were all trying their best to, you know, get over that hump. Hey Seth, do you detail Brady's, um, evolution into a star, a celebrity. And after a while, he sort of embraced that, didn't he? He, he almost welcomed it. Well, I mean, the word celebrity almost doesn't do him justice. He's kind of this global force in a very kind of unique Tony Robbins, David Beckham, Tom Cruise type of way, right? I mean, it just, he's something else in the sense that, he, you know, his interests and his business interests have expanded beyond just being the quarterback of the Patriots to, you know, releasing a book on the TB12 method that for anybody who reads it, it's, it's pretty interesting and revealing. I mean, he's trying to 
reverse the aging process. <laughs> he's not just trying to win Super Bowls anymore. <laughs> and, you know, how he's become that is really interesting. Yeah, he was reticent. I remember, you know, there was this time they played the St. Louis Rams in St. Louis and and I was walking with Brady. We were talking about something. We were walking to the bus and we round the corner and there's all of these people waiting for him. And he almost seemed surprised that people were waiting for him, right? It caught him off guard. And, you know, he kind of had a choice to make. Do I sign these for these 80 people who have waited or do I get on the bus and risk, you know, Belichick getting mad at me? And, you know, he ended up signing for them. And, you know, there was a, an acclamation to his celebrity. And uh, I think that he eventually reached this point where his celebrity and his ambition were such that, you know, he just embraced the entire spectrum of influence that he could have and all of the, the blessings and the headaches that come with it. Brady leaves for Tampa Bay, obviously, wins a Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. What, if anything, does that say about um, Brady or Belichick as the preeminent person in that Super Bowl run? Well, I think we always talk about, you know, we always talk about the Patriot way, right? And, you know, that's a phrase that's not really used inside the building, but it's, it's become this kind of brand that we've adopted. And, you know, I just think that it shows there is no Patriot way. There was two incredibly special people who came into each other's lives at the critical moment in 2001, where both of them were trying to be great in a sport that they couldn't control and had been introduced to the fragility of the profession, right? Belichick had been fired once. He went 5-11 and 11 his, his first year in New England. Who knew if he would have lasted if they had had a second losing season? And then you had Brady, who almost went undrafted. And so they understood how thin the line was. And really, like, that mentality and that, you know, sense that this could all go away at any second. And the hole that that would leave within them was really interesting. And I think that they they took that as far as they could in New England. And obviously, Tom Brady showed that it's a quarterback-driven league and it's transferable to a certain extent. So you're telling me, and this is good news for Buffalo fans, there is no Patriot way. I mean, they're good this year. I don't know if they're Super Bowl good, but they're pretty good this year. But we shouldn't worry about another run of dominance by New England? Well, we'll see. I mean, you know, Belichick is going to be 70 next year. He had always said, I'm not going to be like Marv Levy because he loves to take shots at Marv Levy <laughs> and coaching into his 70s. But really, who knows? And I mean, I think that he wants to have, you know, a good whenever he walks away, whenever that is, I think that he wants to leave a good team set up at quarterback and with his, his sons in good shape in terms of their careers. And so you know, I think that he's putting those pieces in place, but I wouldn't sleep on the Patriots. I mean, the Bills have been kind of an up and down team this year, um, especially when they face good teams. And, you know, Belichick knows how to find the weakness in a quarterback and use that weakness against him and use those vanities against him so that, um, you know, he's able to stay one step ahead of the offense. And, you know, whether Brian Dayball – and, and, and Sean McDermott and, and Josh Allen and, you know, whether they can stay ahead of him is really and dictate to the Patriots over the course of 60 minutes, I think it's going to be really interesting. You hit right where I wanted to go this Monday's game, uh, the Patriots here in uh, Orchard Park to play the Bills. And I think the Bills are a more talented team than New England, but um, this is a test for Sean McDermott and his coaching staff, isn't it? A real yeah. test. Yeah. I mean, it's always going to be a test, you know, Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick, you know, 
they had an off year last year after, you know, an unbelievable run. But, you know, they were still seven and nine. Yeah. It wasn't like they were one in 15. And, you know, they've put together an incredibly suffocating defense. And that's, that's you know, forcing a lot of turnovers. And an offense that is able to stay ahead of the defense and just keep them, you know, they able to keep them a little off balance. And, you know, that's the hallmark of what they do. And so, you know, the Bills are probably a more talented team and probably should win. But, you know, divisional games are always difficult and divisional games against the Patriots are really difficult. And it'll be fascinating to see. It is one of those tests. There are other tests that, you know, they, they have to keep winning. You know, Belichick often says a lot can change in the NFL in one week. And he's right. You know, it really can. Hey, Seth, the book is fantastic. I'm enjoying it immensely. Thank you very much for coming on and talking with us about it. We appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you. The book is It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots and the Pursuit of Greatness. The author is Seth Wickersham, senior writer at ESPN.com. Seth, that was great. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, man. You just let let me know how I can be of help. Okay, thank you. Good to talk with you. Have a good day. Bye-bye. You're listening to Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff with your host, John Murphy. Well, that's our show. That's this week's installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. I really enjoyed talking with Seth Wickersham a moment or two ago. The book, again, It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots and the Pursuit of Greatness. The pursuit continues, and it continues Monday night in Orchard Park at Highmark Stadium when the Buffalo Bills host New England. I love the fact that these two teams are going to play twice in the next four weeks. It really seems like a great way to decide who's on top in the AFC East. Look, and I've said it, I think the Bills have more talent than New England, but the Patriots... I hate to admit it, have Bill Belichick, and he makes a difference. It's an ultimate challenge for Brian Dable, Leslie Frazier, and, of course, Sean McDermott to get ready for this New England team. You know they'll have something special planned defensively to try to stop the Buffalo Bills, and it's Buffalo's first game this year without Tredavious White. Going to be a great game Monday night. Highmark Stadium, the Bills and the Patriots, 8-15 kickoff in Orchard Park. But again, thanks to Seth Wickersham for giving us kind of perspective on New England, where they come from, their Super Bowl run. It's a great book. I'm not finished with it yet, but I will by the time uh, the Bills line up against New England. I think it makes a great Christmas gift. And by the way, the Bills and Patriots hook up the day after Christmas in Foxborough, uh, Sunday, December 26th. So a great Christmas gift. It's better to be feared the New England Patriots, and the Pursuit of Greatness by Seth Wickersham. I want to thank Seth for joining us today. I want to thank our producer, uh, Pat Feldbaugh. We are presented by Sullivan's Maltings Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout, available in stores and bars all over upstate New York and our, our entire coverage area, including many cities now in the Northeast and East, available in Wegmans and Consumers Beverages in the Buffalo area. Look for it, Sullivan's Irish Red Ale, Sullivan's Gold Ale, and Sullivan's Black Marble Stout. I think you'll like it. That's it for this week. We'll see you next week with another installment of Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. You've been listening to John Murphy and Sullivan's Pro Football Kickoff. It's all about the Bills and the Beers.